This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Seventy-seven WABC. Stevie Nicks, 75 years old today as we celebrate really three birthdays. LeVon Helm from the band, my wife's favorite. What the hell is his name again now? Lenny Kravitz, I can tell you were having a little brain yeah. issue. And then, uh, of course, this great lady, Stevie Nicks from Fleetwood Mac. And this is a great, great song. Bo Deedle has been texting me throughout the whole break. He, he's not a big Tish fan. Let's start with that, the lady who runs the sanitation department. And then he was telling me that uh, Norm Seabrook, who's going to join me this morning at 925, I'm very excited about that. He was on Bo Deedle's very popular True Crime Story podcast. And I don't think I got his title right. Before uh, Norm uh, went to prison for a little while, he's back out and looks great. Former law enforcement officer, union leader, Norman Seabrook was the president of the Correction Officers Benevolent Association from 1995 to 2016. So that was Seabrook's exact title. He'll join us coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. Joe Tacopina coming up at 8.40. Noam Layden, his nuggets coming up at 8.25. Hall of Fame boxing trainer Teddy Atlas, 9.05. Rachel Yucatel coming up. At 9.40, but uh, joining me now, making his second appearance on this program, very, very smart guy, great business guy, once again, one of the real thought leaders on Wall Street, and that is our friend Jason Trennert. Jason, happy Friday morning, buddy. How are you? Happy Friday, Sid. How you doing? I'm doing great. Nice uh, nice to have you back. And if we're going to start with any economic discussion before we get to the great stuff you do for Memorial Day on Monday or even the, the, the crisis at the border, we got to start with these debt ceiling talks. I did hear yesterday that there was finally some, not a lot, but some progress between Biden and McCarthy. But I'm also reading all morning long that it's basically a stalemate at this point, And the debt ceiling talks are not going uh, very well. And we are right now in jeopardy of, I guess, a default, which would be absolutely crippling for this country's economy. So where are we with this? Yeah, so Sid, one of the first things I would just say, it, it's a little bit, I, I would argue, it's a little bit of red herring to say that we're going to default because um, 
the, the country uh, earns a lot in tax revenues, m- much more than enough to pay bondholders. So we're, we're not going to default on, on our debt. Um, now, there may be government workers that don't get paid or there may be, you know, at a certain point, it gets very serious where you don't necessarily send out Social Security checks for a couple of days or something like that. But I just want to it's a scare tactic that's used a lot of times. And it's just, you know, if you, if you look at the numbers, it's just not likely. Still, you want to have a deal. So I don't want to I don't want uh, to dismiss it too much. But uh, chances of default are, are basically zero. Uh, it, it's not going to happen. I think we're getting closer, and it's mainly because McCarthy did something that no, that the Democrats and, and President Biden didn't expect him to do, which is he passed the bill out of the House. What's even more surprising, I think, for a lot of people is that McCarthy has been able to keep his caucus together, uh, and it hasn't fractured. And so the, the leverage really rests with McCarthy more than it does with, with President Biden, and I think they're trying every which way to, to make that not the case, but it's, it's not working. And I think at the end of the day, they're going to come, as they have done over 100 times in the last 100 years, uh, they're going to come to a deal. Okay. So you are very, very confident, despite all the really terrifying news. I was just watching Jen Psaki on MSNBC and others. Despite all the terrifying news coming from the media, we will get a deal done. Yeah, I mean, I think. Listen, I, I, I don't. I, I know it's a tactic that uh, that politicians like to use. Really, is to scare people half to death. I, I, you know, especially about things that don't you know matter that much, and they, they completely ignore the stuff that matters a lot. Uh, but you know, this is something where the, the spending in, in the U.S. is out of control. The debt is out of control. There has to be something that's that's done here. I think people recognize that. But you know, politicians are put on earth to spend other people's money, not not to not to take stuff away. So people get a little um, persnickety about that uh, when when you actually have to put some controls on government spending. But said I I feel firmly that a, a deal will get done. It's going to look ugly and it'll look bad until it happens. You almost have to fail before it, it, it happens. But it's I, I'm quite confident that a deal is going to happen in the next two weeks. I mean, the one thing that blew me away from the Donald Trump CNN town hall with that uh, child, that petulant <laughs> Caitlin Collins, <laughs> the one thing that blew who got a 9 p.m. weeknight show now, she actually got rewarded for that, uh, although that was in plan, uh, a plan before. But the one thing that blew me away was when Donald Trump said, I default. He said, listen, if I win in 2024, I'm going to go through the same thing. Unless Republicans get, I don't know, $5 million, $10 million, I would rather default. I'd rather suffer the short-term pain and fix this thing for good. I'm sure you watched it, too. Were you not shocked when Donald Trump said that? I, you know, I'm not. I was a little shocked. But, you know, but Donald Trump says a lot of things a lot of us feel but are afraid to say. And so and, and frankly, there's a lot of Republicans like myself. Um, you know, I try to be, a, a you know, an honest broker when it comes to this stuff, because it's my my job. Try to be fair. But by the same token, I'm a Republican. I think there's a lot of us that feel the same way, which is to say that the, the long term implications of having debt that uh, accumulates ad infinitum with no checks and balances, especially with the Fed increasing the size of its balance sheet, the Fed monetizing the debt, that those are those are going to be very serious. There are going to be very serious implications for that. And it would, in my opinion, be worth it or in the long term health of the U.S. economy to hold firm and to, you know, quote unquote, default or not have a deal in time so that, that politicians would actually have to make some tough choices. 
And so I, you know, I, I applaud him for saying that because I think there's a lot of us that, you know, in the Republican caucus that feel that feel that way. And um, because this is uh, what we're doing now is, is unsustainable. And it, we're, we're on the verge. It's no, we, we could take a long time talking about it, but interest expense on the debt is going to go up dramatically. Yeah. Deficit's going to go up almost no matter what they do, because the government is actually going to have to start paying market rates yeah. for interest, which they haven't been doing in a long time. This is the chairman and CEO of Strategist Research Partners, my friend Jason Schreiner. I'm obligated to ask this. I do it every time. It's it's lame, but it's obligatory, whether it's Monica Crowley or Larry Kudlow or, heck, Ron and Santa, and that is, A, this recession I keep hearing about, whether they come to a debt ceiling agreement or not. It's coming. When's it coming, and how bad is it going to be? And when are they going to stop raising interest rates in this ridiculous effort to knock down inflation. Look, inflation's five-something percent now, better than 8%, but it's still not great. So two things. When, if the recession is coming, how bad will it be? And will it, when will they stop raising interest rates? Well, so a recession, in my opinion, we're, we're on the verge of one now. I, I, would, I would think that it should start in the second half of this year. Everything that we look at uh, is, is pointing to it. We look at things like the yield curve or money growth. Or, you know, that's a bore you with all the stuff, but... Are, are really indicating a recession is quite likely, and so I think it's I think we're on the verge of, uh, of that happening. I also think we're on the verge of the Fed uh, at least uh, Fed has a meeting in, in a couple of weeks in June, uh, and it wouldn't surprise me if they didn't raise rates at that meeting. I think that the indications are now that they want to slow down because the monetary policy also works with a lag. And so it's it, it's not the, the impact of what you're doing is not immediately seen. And so they they, under, they understand that they seem to understand that, and they they're probably going to take a break from raising interest rates. And I, I have a feeling if if I'm right about the recession, inflation will come down uh, naturally. So I think you know we're very close on we're very unfortunately we're close on both. You know, like we're we're yeah. close on the recession, but we're yeah. also close yeah. on the Fed stopping raising interest rates. Let's talk about the crisis at the border. That is the biggest issue in the country. Mayor Eric Adams, he was on with me yesterday talking about the migrants. It all goes back to the border. It all goes back to Joe Biden's failed policy. Joe Biden getting rid of the Remain in Mexico policy, which Trump used, which was great. Title 42 expiring. They did nothing to, to keep it going. They've done nothing. You know, they want to claim, my orchestra, that Title 8 helps. That's a bunch of nonsense. And it absolutely affects the economy as well this whole crisis at the border. Explain yeah. to folks, Jason, how that's the case. Well, I mean, it, it, it affects the economy in many ways. First of all, it's, it's uh, well, first of all, it's illegal, right? I mean, what, what we're uh, open borders, I mean, just to make my own political statement, that, that is not what people voted for. It's not the law. Um, what we're doing is illegal. Second thing is it's extremely costly because we have, Unlike the immigration that happened, let's say, 100 years ago, we have a very strong social safety net. You know, we have unemployment insurance, we have health care, we have all these things that are good for people that are in trouble, but they're, they're designed for citizens. They're not designed to have open borders, have millions of people come across uh, the borders and, and then be able to access those, uh, those funds. And we just talked about the size of the debt. This is going to make the debt. Uh, even greater. And for a, a city like New York, uh, it's even worse, right? Because especially in the aftermath of the pandemic, because, uh, you know, you still have maybe 50, 60 percent of people going into offices every day. The city's not designed 
it, its economy is not designed to have 50, 60 percent going into the offices. Uh, every let, day. let me emphasize your point. Uh, my, my driver, Gene, takes me to work every morning. Now, we go to work very, very early, circa 5 a.m., but there's still cars on the FDR. I have to tell you, from about 23rd Street to 42nd Street today, we were the only car on the road. It was eerie. Yeah. Well, listen, you know, they have the thing that uh, the swipe cards, you know, that you get into buildings. It's called the castle systems. But they, they, we have very good real-time data on that. It's about 50%, uh, you know, throughout a week. And, again, you just think of the impact that has on small businesses and all the rest of it, right? So you have that. So the city's losing a lot of tax revenue in that regard. Now you have an influx of, you know, right around the corner from my office, the Roosevelt Hotel, Um you have, you know, that that's going to cost the Roosevelt Hotel in and of itself just for lodging is going to cost New York City two hundred and twenty million dollars over the next three years, Jeez. and that doesn't include uh, health care, doesn't include school instruction, mental health counseling, you know, all things that we obviously as human beings, you know, you want these people to have, but mm. there are limits, you know, there as, as we know, yeah. and then as yeah. a taxpayer, yep. you know, we're going to be the people that are going to pay. Well, that pisses me off. I'm sick of that. Yeah. I told yeah. the mayor that yesterday. I don't want to pay for these people. I don't want them in my neighborhood. God bless them. I don't want them in my neighborhood. I don't want to pay for them. And I'll tell you something else. Here's the ongoing battle. You can answer this. People say, wait a second. You want to get these people work authorizations, Hochul and Adams. You're taking jobs away from Americans. And by the way, incentivizing more migrants right now in Ecuador, El Salvador to come here. But the other side says that's not true. The Americans are not taking these jobs. Americans are basically lazy people. They're very happy. Some of the folks that are down in their luck collecting a government check, smoking weed and watching cartoons. And at least these migrants come and they work hard. Which one is it? Well, I think, listen, as an economist, you say everything has a price, right? And I would say if you, you're increasing the supply of labor, that's going to drive down the price of labor. And so maybe part of the reason why Americans aren't taking those jobs is that um, they're competing with illegal immigrants that will do the jobs for a lot less. And so if you let the market work, it seems to me, uh, people would take those jobs. But people don't want to take the jobs for um, off the books, so they don't want to take them for eight dollars an hour, ten dollars an hour. So it's a little bit of both. But I think I, there's no question that this is—it's not good for Americans and the American workforce. It's good for for white collar people. It's good for you know big companies. It's good you know all that stuff. But for the regular, the average person, it's not good uh, because you're competing with a lot more people that are willing to do jobs for a lot less. Than, uh, than a citizen would. And, and uh, there are some people, uh, you know, that I, I would say this big social safety net, there are Americans that are taking advantage of it. But, you know, again, there again, you should <laughs> you should have work requirements. You should have all these other things Republicans are looking for in this debt ceiling deal to, to limit that. But uh, just from a, just a simple point of view, you're, in, you're massively increasing the supply of labor that can't do anything but depress wages. Well, kudos to you, Jason Schreiner. Many years ago, you started a campaign on Wall Street to bring the poppy back. And Monday, of course, we're going to celebrate Memorial Day. I've said this time and time again while you're on the beach at the Jersey Shore, Hamptons, Fire Island, upstate New York, eating your hot dog, eating your hamburger, and having a grand old time drinking those beers. Find a minute, a couple of minutes to pay homage to the brave men and women 
that have given America the ultimate sacrifice. That's what Monday is all about. Most folks don't care. They just want to have a day off. I'm going to the amusement park. But that's what it's all about. You certainly care. Bring the poppy back to Wall Street. Tell the folks about that. Yeah, so, and I don't know if your daughter in, in England is, you know, is mentioned this or seen it, but there, there's, there, you might see in the old days before it became a three-day weekend. You can stop right there. Was, I'm a, you really do listen. <laughs> I do. Oh, no, absolutely. No, I'm a big, I'm a big fan. Thank you. I love the music, too. Love the music. Thank you. Anyway, so, uh, but in in Britain and Canada, they they uh, wear poppies ahead of uh, Remembrance Day to honor uh fallen soldiers and the u.s we used to do that but we don't do it anymore but now the american legion will sell you these they're these beautiful poppies it's based on a a very famous poem called in flanders fields and all the money goes to support uh veterans groups and um and their health care and all the rest of it and so it's just a nice memorial and we've been you know it became less of a uh of a tradition here in the united states over the last 40, 50 years, but it used to be quite common. And I, we're just trying to get people to do it again. It's just a small thing you can put on your lapel or on your shirt that shows that you care about veterans and it raises money for, for veterans groups. So we're, we, we send out, they're, they're very inexpensive. You know, we send out, they're like 25 cents a piece. We send out a couple thousand to, to clients uh, every year and we, we try to wear them ourselves in and around town and all the rest of it. So it's, it's a good, it's a noble cause, I think, and, and an inexpensive way to show your appreciation. Damn right. It's a noble cause. Great job out of you, Jason. Uh, you really are a terrific guest. You're up on everything. Very, very bright, obviously. I love having you on, man. Uh, thank you for, uh, giving us the latest on the debt ceiling. Thank you for what you do for Memorial Day. You are a great American and a Sid Fabe. So thank you so much for stopping by this morning. All right, man. All right, take it easy. Have a good weekend. You too. It's my man right there, Jason Trenert. Strategize Research Partners, one of the brilliant minds on Wall Street today.